Would you pray with me as we come to the word this morning? Lord, we just sang some pretty powerful things about your name. Darkness trembles at your name. And Lord, if we're honest, so do we, but for a very different reason. To be in the presence of the almighty king is a blessed and overwhelming thing. May we be overwhelmed by your presence this morning. God, as we come to your word, may we see it for what it truly is, your living word at work within us. May we be changed in your presence. God, may we even have a moment of trembling in your presence this morning. Overwhelm us, God, I pray. You are more than welcome in this place. It's yours to begin with. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing on through the book of Mark. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of jump in this morning and we'll kind of walk back and catch up uh, here a little bit. But Jesus is in his final week of ministry leading up to his death. Uh, we find ourselves on that Tuesday. All right, we know Good Friday is the day that he is taken to the cross. So here we have Tuesday of that week. They came again to Jerusalem, this is in Mark chapter 11, as he was walking in the temple complex, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came and asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began to argue amongst themselves, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the crowds because everyone thought that John was a genuine prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what, by what authority I do these things. So let's break this down a little bit, just kind of walk through the story. It starts, they came again to Jerusalem. Again, this is Tuesday morning. And as would be Jesus' custom, every day this week, they walk into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple complex. Oh, oh. Yes, and as he was walking into the temple complex, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came and asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? What are these things? Honestly, this question could be applied to just about every single thing Jesus has done. They were constantly questioning him like this. But on this day in particular, when they said, by what authority are you doing these things, they were most likely referring to what happened yesterday. What happened on Monday? Let's go back. We read this a couple weeks ago. On Monday, uh, speaking of Jesus' disciples, they came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple complex and he began to throw out those buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves and he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple complex. Then he began to teach them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. So yesterday... Jesus walked into the temple and began destroying it, overturning tables, unleashing animals, chasing people out. Says he wouldn't let anyone bring any goods in. And then he cries out in, in view of everyone there, 
is it written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? And then he accuses them, but you have made it a den of thieves, speaking directly to the religious leaders at the time. Monday was a big day. And so Tuesday, they want answers. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? To turn everything we know upside down? To cause this kind of havoc in the temple? You better have some good answers. Who do you think you are? So let me pause and ask this question. And as you guys have caught on by this point in time, I actually would like some answers here. Uh, I'm not the only one that the Lord can speak to or through. By what authority did Jesus do these things? Because he wasn't just some crazy guy in there kicking over tables and he was just a bad, uh, bad apple trying to ruin everything for everyone else, right? He had authority to do these things. So let's answer the question they were asking him. By what authority did Jesus do these things? It's not a trick question, by the way, so don't, don't worry about that. God, pretty simple. Okay. Sure. Right. And what a reminder it was. Yeah, it came with a uh, physical illustration. But what she was saying was he had the same authority that they should have had. Because what does he say when he flips over the tables on that kind of stuff? He says, is it not written? So first he was standing on the authority of scripture. My father's house is to be a house of prayer, not whatever this is. You have strayed away from what my father said this was to be about. And so he was standing on the authority of, of scripture. It is written, and you're breaking what it's written. Okay, so in, in this instance, he's specifically standing on the authority of the word. God has already written this down for us, and you're breaking his law, his command. Okay? Okay. What other authority? Somebody already said, I mean, kind of a big deal, God. Why, why did Jesus have authority from God? Say it again. Yeah. He, he would say late, about a week later, uh, after his resurrection, he would say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me from the Father. All right, so he would state it very clearly about a week later. Why did Jesus have authority from the Father? Because he's his son, yeah? Jesus came in the power and authority of the Father because he had been with the Father. We had talked uh, the last couple weeks about power in prayer and this kind of prayer of faith that Jesus talks about. And remember, we kept tying it back to this intimacy with him. It comes from abiding relationship. We kept talking about John 15. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he said, now go. Anything you ask in my name will be given to you. And it all comes from this deep abiding relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, my authority comes from my intimacy with the Father. Jesus wasn't just kind of the de facto son 
of the king. And like, yeah, whether like it or not, I'm blood. What's he going to do? He was his son in more than just name. He was about the father's business. It all comes from intimacy with the father, his authority and ours. You see, up to this point, Jesus was not shy about talking about where his authority came from. We're going to look simply at the book of John. I'm just going to walk through a couple different passages. John, another eyewitness, along with Peter, retelling the story of Jesus. And there's multiple times. We're going to look at, I think, five different times where John talks about Jesus just standing and just boldly proclaiming where it all came from. John 5, 16 to 19. Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath, which for some reason was a no-no. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I'm working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. Look, I have come from the father. He, he is my father. He, Jesus calling God the father, we do it now all the time because Jesus taught us to pray that way. It was unheard of back then because it was putting yourself on the same plane as God the father and giving you the same authority as God the Father. And Jesus was saying, I have this authority because I've seen him. And I only do what I've seen him do. Later in that same chapter, John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's not just that I've been around God in proximity to him and therefore it rubbed off on me. He has sent me on a mission. And when a king sends someone on a mission, they send them with the king's authority. John 8, 28, a few chapters later. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own, but just as the father taught me, I say these things. Not only did he send me out with authority, he taught me what I was going to say. The words that I speak aren't my own. They're the Father's words, and they come with his authority. John 12, 49 to 50. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. The king has commissioned me out with a command. He has told me what to speak, and everything I speak, I learned from him anyway. It just keeps kind of building in this culmination. John 14, 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I, or I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Not only have I been with the Father, not only have I been taught by the Father and commissioned and sent out by the Father and told exactly what to say by the Father, actually what you see happening in me is the Father who lives in me working through me. So where did Jesus' authority come from? His intimacy with the Father. And he was given a mission by the Father. 
and he moves in the Father's authority. Jesus was not shy about sharing this. This was in all kinds of different towns. This was in all kinds of different situations. And Jesus would teach this openly, even to the point where, all the way back to the beginning of John, early on in Jesus' ministry, even the Pharisees knew it and proclaimed it. Nicodemus saying this. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious leader at the time. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. The Pharisees knew it. It was apparent. Jesus had taught it over and over and over again. When the, when the Pharisees came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? It wasn't because they didn't know. It wasn't because he had never said it before. It wasn't because they were coming to fall at his feet and go, we're, we want to be in. Just tell us where your authority comes from. They were coming to try to twist, to try to put Jesus on the spot, to try to use his words against him. If we can get him to maybe say that he's the Messiah, we could speed this whole killing him thing up. If we could stump him, because their assumption was, and we've talked about this before, he's just as petty as we are. He cares just as much about what the crowds think as we do, and maybe we can stump him and make him look silly. And so they come angry about what happened on Monday. Who gave you this authority? And Jesus responds. He said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? Answer me. You ever heard the, the saying, it's rude to answer a question with a question? Jesus didn't care. They were kind of being a little rude themselves. And so Jesus says, and I think truly, fine, I'll answer you. If you, I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. If you have the stones to answer the question, I'm going to ask you. If you have the guts to speak the truth, I'll tell you clearly where my authority comes from. I've kind of been doing it for the last three and a half years. But I'll tell you if you will answer this question first. But let me, let me ask this, and again, I would love to hear from you. Why didn't Jesus just answer their question? He'd been doing it all along. He wasn't shy about it. Why didn't he just say, I've come from the Father, and as the Father commands me, so I do. As I've seen the Father do, so I do. The Father is working through me. Why didn't he just answer their question? Okay. What were they really trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. He knew that they weren't even looking for an answer. They weren't seeking truth. They were trying to stump him. They were trying to trick him. And so was he just kind of being a little crafty, you know, and giving them some of their own medicine? Why, did, why didn't he just answer? Okay. Sure. Yeah, this could have been a merciful act, giving them the opportunity to examine their own hearts. Instead of just him telling them the answer they've already heard before, he, he put a question to them, and we're going to talk about why this question's significant. He put a question to them that gave them an opportunity to examine themselves. Did I see another hand, Joe? Okay. 
Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. That is an interesting thing. All the things that we just read about, and he says, look, I, I speak the words the Father speaks. I do what I've seen the Father do. I don't act on my own accord, he says. I, I follow, the, follow the Father's lead. This is a bit of a side note, but it's actually a powerful thing. I think Jesus walked into every situation going, Lord, what do you want me to say? And sometimes the Lord went, give it all to him. And he was like, look, I've come from the Father and he is working through me. And sometimes this isn't for them. They're not ready to hear it. And for those of us who are following Jesus in here, if we approach life the same way, walking into every situation going, Lord, you open doors, I'll walk through. You close doors, I'll sit back and be quiet. I've shared this before with people. Again, this is a little bit of a tangent. I've had the Lord tell me not to share the gospel with someone. And the Lord and I had a lot of conversation about that afterwards. I was like, but that's kind of what we do. Like, what are you talking about? And he just made it clear. They're not ready for it. Not now. You know, and and so hearing from the Lord, because if I'm Jesus, again, purely human look, the way that we approach things, I'm going, they just gave me a platform and a microphone and I get to spread my message. Thanks for the setup, guys. I am the Messiah. And I... I would have done all kinds of dumb things that Jesus didn't do because he was actually following the Father. And the Father told him, not now. They're not actually seeking. Don't throw pearls before swine. Just let this one go. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Again, from, from a human point of view, we could look at this and we could go, Jesus, you were going to the cross anyway. What's three days? Just shout it from the rooftops, make them mad. And worst case scenario, they kill you. They're going to anyway. And we've already looked. Jesus knew it was coming. He had been telling his disciples again and again and again, we're going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me and I'm going to raise again in three days. But he trusted the father's timing. This is not time for that. So instead, he asks them a question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? John's baptism, John the Baptist, he was a, we've talked before, he was a super well-known character at the time, very beloved by the people. And it says here that the people believed that he was a genuine prophet. He was held in such high regard. And so Jesus says, okay, you've asked me kind of a tough question. Let me put one back to you. John's baptism, was it from heaven? Was it a God thing or was it from men? Was it just John? basically lying and tricking everyone. Which one was it? Simple answer, yes or no, right? They began to argue among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was a genuine prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. They took the coward's way out because they were scared of people and again, it just it reveals their heart. They were not seeking truth. They weren't going, Jesus, we just really need to know where does this authority come from? Because like, if it's from the Father, we don't want to set ourselves up against him. They came in going, we don't care where it comes from. We got to get this guy out of here. And so Jesus put it back to them. John's baptism, which one is it? For all the people to hear, tell them what you really think or tell them what they want to hear. 
And they were in this hard place, so they just took the coward's way out and said, we don't know. And Jesus says, then, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, Jesus was, I think, like David had said, giving them this opportunity to really think things through. Because what was John's message? John came baptizing, and does anyone remember his message? We looked at it way back in Mark chapter 1 and 2. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. What else? What, what were, some of John's sayings are pretty famous. Most people have, have heard them before. What were some of the things that John was known for saying? Yeah, so he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven near, and so near that one is coming right after me, and he is so much greater than me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then what did he say when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Who was John proclaiming Jesus was? Messiah. The one we've been waiting for. The one that is going to bring the kingdom of God into reality is coming. There he is. Behold the Lamb of God. And so for the Pharisees now to look and they go, if we say John was a genuine prophet, we're answering our own question. We're telling the people where Jesus' authority comes from because we're recognizing he's the Messiah. We don't want Jesus to be the Messiah. Therefore, John can't be a prophet. But if we say that, the people will get mad at us and our power is at stake here. Our right to rule is at stake here. Uh, the Jews in Jerusalem were known for rebelling, typically against Rome. And I'm sure the Pharisees had to go, boy, if they turned that on us, that could get ugly pretty quick. So do we acknowledge John to make the people happy and therefore saying we believe Jesus is the Messiah? Or do we really make the people mad and tell them what we really think about Jesus? And they took this coward's way out. And so Jesus says, if you don't have the guts... If you're not willing to seek after truth, you're not going to know where my authority comes from. But he doesn't end there. You see, while Jesus was out in the countryside teaching these very same things, the Pharisees were able to live with him. He was over there. He was somebody else's problem. He's over in Samaria. We don't even like those people anyway. Who cares? But now Jesus has come to Jerusalem, the seat of their power. And he's begun to threaten what they believe is theirs. And so Jesus isn't willing to let this go. They just go, oh, I don't know. And he lets them slink off. So he begins to teach the people, starting in, in Mark chapter 12. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he released it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest time, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from the farmers. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another slave to them, and they hit him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. Then they sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others, and they beat some, and they killed others. He still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent them to him, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? 
He will come and destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Because they knew he had said this parable against him, they were looking for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they went away. So they left him and went away. Let's break this down like we've been doing. Starting with verse one, then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug out a wine press and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When they heard this parable begin, as soon as they heard Jesus talk about a vineyard, they would have connected that with the nation of Israel. All through the Old Testament, Israel is always referred to as a a vineyard. That's a very common illustration that was used. So when they heard a man planted a vineyard, they would have thought, God creating the nation of Israel. That that would have been a natural connection that they would have made. Who is the sole creator and owner in this story? God. Did, Did the farmers do anything? Jesus was very clear in this. The man planted the vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press. He built a watchtower. Who does it belong to? Him. End of story. There's no, but we did this, but like this is his. But then he leased it to tenant farmers. Who are the tenant farmers in the story? Maverick? The Pharisees? Any other guesses? The, uh, I mean, past religious leaders that he's connecting the Pharisees with the Ephraim that like Isaiah prophesied against. Yeah, yeah. Is that a hand going up back there? We're just stretching out. Stretching out. All right. Nowadays, it would have looked like the Pharisees, but he's kind of looking at all of Israel's history. He's taking the, the couple thousand year history of Israel and putting it into one story. And so he's going, these tenant farmers, the kings that had raised up, the judges that were there, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. He's kind of saying all of those that God gave authority to lead Israel. He put in charge of the vineyard, and then he went away. So he's looking back at kind of Israel's whole history of leadership. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyards, but the farm or from the farmers, excuse me. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another slave to them, and they hit him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others. They beat some, and they killed some. Who are the servants? Who are, who are the slaves that the master of the vineyard is sending to the farmers? The prophets. Okay, again, this is looking back at all of Israel's history. This is kind of parable 101. Everything kind of resembles, uh, represents some different things, and we're just working it out. Throughout Israel's history, God had continued to send prophets to the nation, and they were mistreated. They were ignored. They were mocked. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were killed. What was the prophet's basic message? The prophets all kind of did it in different ways. Some were very showy, like one to show what God was going to do to Israel, walked up, tied himself up in knots, and laid on his right side for like 360-some days, and then his left for 70 days, because that's how many years. And it was like very visual. Some came with just powerful messages, and they would stand on the rooftops, and they would preach. What was the basis of a prophet's message? What do you think? 
Like if you had to, if you had to sum it up, you know what I mean? Repent, return to God. What else? It, it, it's right in that vein. Be faithful. When, when you look at Jesus' story here, what were the servants coming and telling the farmers? Give to the king what is the king's, right? Repent. Repent meaning you were walking in this direction, turn. Walk in a new direction. You've been walking away. You've been mistreating, mishandling the master's vineyard. Turn. Give back to him what is his. The prophets would stand and they would say, nation of Israel, your hearts are hardened. You're walking away from your God. You're following these idols. Repent. Give to the king what is the king's. Your worship, your time, your money, your very lives, they belong to him. He planted the vineyard. It all belongs to him. Give to the king what is the king's. And every single prophet that brought this message to Israel was ignored, was mocked, was beaten, was imprisoned, was killed, was carried off into captivity. The very captivity that they were warning Israel was coming. He still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. Why would he think they would respect his son? Part of it is like from a purely logical standpoint, you go, no, 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 don't send him. Look what they've done to everybody else. But he said, they will respect my son. Why would the master assume they would respect his son? Jesus wasn't telling this story in a vacuum. They had just asked him by what authority, and he goes, you want to know? I'll tell you. In a little bit of a roundabout way, the master sent his son saying, they'll respect my son because a son comes in the authority of his father. Everything back then was a family business. What the father owned, the son was directly linked to. And when the son spoke, he spoke in the authority of a father. And so he's going, they'll respect my son because my son comes in my authority. And you can almost imagine Jesus looking at the Pharisees and going, you get it? You want to know where my authority comes from? It comes from my father. He sent me to you. But those tenant farmers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Think, think how twisted this is. Let's kill the son, then it'll all be ours. Maybe the master will just give up and this will all be ours. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others. This can finally be ours to do with as we please. All we gotta do is get rid of the stinking son. It shows that Jesus knew what was coming. Again, he's foretold it at least three times up to this point. And here he's saying, I know what your plan is to kill the son and to throw his corpse out of the vineyard. I know what you're planning. And it's this, again, almost an act of mercy. Like David said, there's a warning attached. What do you think the father's going to do if you carry out your plan? He will come and destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others. He was warning them. And then he says, haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This comes from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. 
the meaning of a cornerstone back then. They did building very differently than we do building. Okay, what they would do is they had this stone that was kind of the foundation of the entire building. It was the first one set and it was set with the most care because everything else in the building's existence was measured off that cornerstone. Level was set off of that. What, what direction the building would face, whether the walls were all cattywampus, all of that came back to, did we set the cornerstone right? You could not have a good building without a good cornerstone. It was the first step, it was the foundational piece to any building. And Jesus is saying, the stone that you're about to reject is the cornerstone, is the thing that God is going to build his entire kingdom off of. He knew they would reject him. He knew they would kill him. And he was faithfully following the Lord where the Lord would lead. And he's, because he believed, and I will be the cornerstone that God builds his kingdom on, this comes from the Lord. Talk about authority. God is moving. You can't thwart him. I know your plan. I'm hip to it. And you can't thwart what the, the owner of the vineyard wants to do. This comes from him and it is blessed in our eyes. He will use even your wicked acts to accomplish his purpose of this new building of the kingdom. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to be the cornerstone of it. Because they knew he had said this parable against them, they were looking for a way to arrest him, but again, they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and they went away. Look at the response of the Pharisees. Jesus came and threatened what was theirs, not because he said, hey, I'm coming to take it, but because he said, my kingdom works differently. There's a new way to do things. He threatened what was important to them and what was their response? Let's kill him. Let's arrest him. Let's get him out of the way. Especially now, he's actually, he has the audacity to come to Jerusalem. We gotta get him out of here. Why? To protect what's ours. The, the power that we've been working so hard to gather, the wealth, the status, whatever it may be, we have to get rid of him to protect what's ours. So let me ask you this question. What will your response be? If you have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, or even if you just start today, there will come a point when his kingdom way threatens what's valuable to you. Your time, your money, your energy, your home, your car, your children, your future, your plans, whatever it may be, his kingdom will threaten. Because he does things in a way that doesn't always make sense to us. He does things in a way where he calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to love one another in a way where it hurts. If you follow Jesus, again, even if you start today, by the end of the week, he will press into something in your life and he will say, let this die. Give this up. We have to change what's going on here. What will your response be? Will you grab for power? Will you grab for control? Will you fight against the king? Will you ignore his message? Will you maybe even mock it and plug your ears, turning your back on the king? Or will you open your hands and will you work with the king? The whole vineyard is yours. You planted it. You put up the fence. You dug the wine press. You put up the tower. I'm simply a hired hand. I don't own a single thing. All of it is yours. 
I want to work with the king. If you say we're doing it differently, then we're doing it differently. You say speak, I speak. You say shut up, I shut up. You say give it away, I give it away. You say enjoy it, I enjoy it. Then you say give it away, I give it away. Everything I have is yours. You're the king. You're the master of the vineyard. I am simply a hired hand. I am blessed to even get to walk with you. Everything I have belongs to you. What will your response be when the king calls you to lay it down? When the king calls you to use it in a way that's maybe uncomfortable for you, to give it away? Will you grab for power? Will you open your hands and say, everything I have belongs to you anyway? Show me how to use it. I'm gonna ask the music team to come up and I'm gonna pray. We'll, we'll, we'll sing a song and, and close. Lord Jesus, it's not very difficult to say everything I have belongs to you. It is incredibly difficult to live out that everything is yours. I am simply a hired hand. God, I agree with you and I pray for courage and boldness for those times when you call me to lay it down, to give it away, to use it differently. May you give me the courage and the boldness to obey, the faith to trust. You are a good father and you can be trusted. Even if your ways don't make sense in the moment, my natural is always gonna be to wrestle back control. Lord, would you convict through your Holy Spirit? Would you remind me once again Open your hands. It's all mine. And God, may we experience the blessing that comes from walking with the king, from partnering with the master of the vineyard. And may that begin to loosen our grip. The more we see you move, the more we see that you are faithful and you can be trusted, the looser our grip should become. May we walk in faith, again, trusting that you are a good father and that you can be trusted with everything we have. Move as only you can, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.